Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Show World Cup Daily. Lazzurri of Italy kick things off with a dub thanks to the first touch of an impact sub. Germany's women are in very good health as Morocco were dominated by the national elf. And Brazil playing in style was a given as Panama were floored by the Samba rhythm. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who doesn't regret bigging up Morocco quite a lot in this podcast. He just rues and laments it. Taylor Rocco, hello. I do not. I stand Morocco even still. Okay. You got to stay with them when it's bad to appreciate them when they're good. If Morocco were ever good, I don't know if they will be, but... Uh, I was excited to see them play against Germany and then very quickly less excited to see them play There's against Germany. There's a curse. There's a curse. We can curse teams. And I, and I am really excited to talk up England later on an unrelated note. I think they're really good. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Well, t- uh, Taylor, congratulations. You just passed the true soccer fan test through thick and thin. Tick for Taylor. Well done. Very Thank good. Thank you. I, I try. I try. Uh, you just uh, heard up Morocco. Voice. Let's go. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk more about them and their... Uh, shortcomings yeah. later on, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> we just heard his voice, Graham Ruffin. How are you, sir? I am very well, Ryan Bailey. Today was today was a good one. Like there were some good matches. Um, obviously, the way that the fixtures fall, some days I some I, I, I struggle to raise enthusiasm. Today was not one of those days. Argentina, Italy. I found a frustrating match, but obviously two heavyweights of, of football. Um, not necessarily like the women's game, but they are improving. And then Brazil. I had such a good time watching Brazil today. I was looking forward to Brazil. They they were in the prime time spot in in the UK. And they delivered. We're going to talk about them a little bit later on. We will do indeed, Graham. I, for one, am shocked that you, Adele, a Scotsman, sometimes finds it difficult to get some enthusiasm up in your day. But I'm glad to hear that today was not one of those days. Very good indeed. Yeah, I had a bowl of sugary cereal for my breakfast this morning. That's how you know I'm, I'm looking forward to the day ahead. What, uh, which cereal? Uh, Frosties. We don't have anything that exciting in the UK. Like the American, like Messi needs to bring some some um, like good cereal over jo- to the UK. Joe and Taylor are frowning. That's Frosted Flakes to you two, darling. Thank you. Oh, yeah, thanks for explaining that. Yep. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> also joining us, a man whose analysis is anything but flowery, Joe Lowry. Hello, sir. How are you? <laughs> I am great. I love that intro there. Wait, I, I sorry. I have another follow-up question on Frosties. Mm-hmm. Are they actually just called Frosties in the UK, no, or are they called Frosted yeah. Flakes, and Graham just calls them Frosties? No, 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 that, that is the brand name. It's not like a slang thing. Yeah, they're called okay. Frosties in the UK. So it's, like, it's, it's exactly the same uh, manufacturer and everything. So you got Tony on board and everything like that. Okay, that's good yeah, to know. Indeed, so it yeah. is, maybe this is just like a Australia, New Zealand, UK thing, where they shorten everything? Because we talked about that yesterday, right? About the Aussies shortening everything to, to something, because <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. I guess Graham's in the same boat, it's, maybe? It's... I think it's my theory actually on this joke is that Americans need more descriptors in their terms for things because Frosties isn't descriptive enough. Frosty Flakes you need to know they're flakes. It's like horseback riding. We call it horse riding. You need to know you have to sit on the back. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> Eyeglasses. 
Yeah. Before your eyes, we know, we get it. <laughs> yeah, we call lucky charms in this country is just charmies, and then you add the lucky bit, you know. We right, know. right. I mean, because you could be having some bad charms. I don't know. Maybe, exactly. maybe they're taking you the other way. <laughs> there we go. Plenty of hilarious banter like this on our Patreon, by the way. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you'd like to join the party there and join our Discord. But lots to be getting on with on this here show on this here Monday as we record. 11 goals in three games. Let's start with the game with the one goal in it, shall we? Italy won Argentina nil in Auckland, the early game. An 84th minute substitute appearance from Cristina Ginelli. And she scores the 87th minute winner from a header. A first touch, which was rather important in this one, Graham Rutherford. Uh, ball in the back of the net for the Italians several times in the first half. Um, what, what do we make of this one? For me, wasn't super high quality, but lots of sort of commitment from both sides. So a decent contest. Yeah, I'll just go straight in to, to, to my top line here on this match. I found it very frustrating to watch because, as you say there, Ryan, both teams do have real quality, but I didn't. I, I, my impression was we didn't get a chance to really see that in this match. And, and a lot of that was down to the way that Argentina in particular approached the match. They just didn't allow Italy the chance to build any sort of rhythm. Lots of little fouls and, and broken up play and some poop-housery as well. Yes, I know, shocking that a match between Italy and Argentina had <laughs> uh, some dark arts involved in there. But yeah, it was, it was, it was difficult for um, Italy to kind of get anything going. It was mainly Argentina, as I say, that frustrated me because they do have quality in attack, but they weren't moving the ball quickly enough when they had it. I felt like the, the first pass needed to be a little bit longer. So their possession play was getting bogged down in little like five-yard passes and then losing it. It was like they wanted to make everything... This was particularly the case in the first half. It was like they wanted to make everything a rondo. And if they just stretched it a little bit, I think they would have found a little bit more space. And they do have attacking talents. I mean, Benini, for example... Is so entertaining to watch awesome. the way that she dribbles and drops mm. her shoulder. And if Argentina had been able to get her into more space, I wonder how this match goes for them. But yeah, their attacks just broke down too often and they got bogged down in possession play. So I didn't enjoy watching them, especially today. I think maybe this is the difference here is that I previewed Argentina. So this is exactly how I thought they were going to play. This was my concern. I think even in my specific prediction for them for the whole tournament, I wasn't sure that they were going to score or how many goals they would end up scoring because it is pretty direct. It is oftentimes into La Raquette. She's looking to lay off to Bonsegundo or Benini, and then they try to build and sort of attack from there. But as a result, it's a lot of direct balls after a lot of slow passing around the back. This is pretty much what I expected from them. I would also say, I I disagree somewhat. I don't think there's a ton of attacking quality for Argentina. I think they have a few good players that they can build around, but I think the way they defend, the way they want to slowly possess, means that those players are always going to start deeper, and it's tougher for them to create in that way. Yeah. Where I felt like there were opportunities for them in this tournament and in this game was when they would utilize that intermittent high press. That's where they tend to create more opportunities when they're stepping higher, when they're winning the ball higher, and then they're going from there and playing much more rapid counterattacking football. They can do that, and I think in the times that they did do that, that was where their best opportunities came from. I just think it was uh, pretty few and far between when they were utilizing that approach. And I think Italy did really well to to sort of navigate that and then control the game on their own. I, I thought this was about what I was expecting from both of these teams. So I, on the other hand, was uh, slightly more engaged by this one. Yeah, and I think, I think, Taylor, you're spot on there, right? The difference between you having previewed this team and spent a lot of time watching them before the tournament, sort of knowing what to expect and expecting, at least in the attack, not very much. 
and the rest of us, having heard your preview but still not having actually seen it before with our eyes, hoping for something more, right? I kind of feel this way with a lot of these different Mm -hmm. teams. We talked about with France and some of their imprecision in the attack, although the quality level I recognize is very, very different. The U.S., I felt like this before, even even though there were lots of good passages against Vietnam. The issue for me with Argentina in this game is that Benini in particular, who is very clearly their best attacker on the left wing, plays for Atleti, like has a lot of experience, has played in a number of different clubs before and has had success. Like she's out on the left side. She's getting on the ball in some of these transition opportunities, and there is no one around her. Like they, they showed this stat on the Fox broadcast, and I love some of the stats that we've gotten during these World Cups, both this one and the one in the winter. They've really upped their game on that in FIFA in a lot of respects. The stat was that Benini was the most involved Argentina player through the first 40 minutes. And it felt like that theme really did carry on throughout the match. The issue was Argentina never had anybody around her. Like they're in this sort of 4-2-3-1 shape. They're absorbing a lot of what Italy's trying to throw at them. And I'm sure we'll talk about Italy and what they did well in just a minute. But they were absorbing lots of Italy's attacking play. And then trying to go out on the break mostly through Benini. And they wouldn't really push a fullback forward. Like the left back wouldn't go forward or the number 10 or any of the central midfielders wouldn't really slide out to combine. So I don't know. I think we all have sort of slightly different issues that we picked up on in this game. That for me, Argentina, even though maybe it was fair to expect it, for me, it doesn't make it any less frustrating because it's it's pretty clear to see what could have changed to make them a bit more effective in transition. And it's 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 a big problem for Argentina, not just because they lost this game, but because in my mind, and you, maybe you guys disagree, this was kind of the swing game for both Argentina and Italy, right? They're in a group with Sweden, the, the, the projected favorite, who pick up three points against South Africa. Now, South Africa did put up a fight, which could change the balance of this group slightly. But, like, this was the swing game, where if Argentina pick up three points, or even one point, the, the calculus of this group changes a ton. The fact that they don't, and Italy, the favorite coming into this matchup, pick up all three points... I think it's going to make life very, very difficult for Argentina over the next two group stage games. Yeah, and it's possible that what I have with Argentina is a neutrals gripe, where if they come out and play a more open game, this is certainly a more entertaining spectacle. Whereas, and we saw that with another game we're going to talk about later, Taylor's favourites, Morocco, where they did try to impose their game. And then you look at the scoreline in that match and that didn't really end that well for them so maybe this was the best way for Argentina given how that they have qualified with this tournament given this is the way that they they have played this is the muscle memory for them maybe this was their best way of getting a result obviously it doesn't doesn't work out for them in the end but yeah I couldn't really suppress, suppress my neutrals frustration watching this my preview TSS nickname for them was the U.S. men's national team because they reminded me so much of the way the U.S. will try to, at times, possess, but it's really slow. You can see the wheels turning when they're trying to move the ball, and then oftentimes it's playing into the feet of a single number nine who's trying to hold up and turn and play forward and score goals all at once, and it becomes sort of bogged down by the details. At the same time, I think Argentina's program has improved so much and continues to improve that we will probably see it continue to evolve but I, I i hear where you're both coming from and i think at the end it, it reminds me of like if you're going into a restaurant and you see the delivery and they're getting some really nice ingredients and you're like oh i can't wait to have that and then the meals come out and they have none of those ingredients and it's sort of like okay i get that this is what you all cook on the regular but at the same time you have some other things that you could be doing and you're not and so i think that's yeah. maybe where we'll see argentina evolve from maybe after this tournament on I agree with you, Joe. I think this was the game they needed to win if they wanted to try to get out of the group. Now I think backs against the wall, they're going to be in some trouble against Sweden, and I think they might be in some trouble against South Africa as well. 
I think, Taylor, at the risk of being negative about this, I feel like the wonderful ingredients were presented, but the food came out burnt uh, for me because I, I just didn't find this to be a super interesting game. I, I, I did I did preview Italy. Um, I, I think they're a bit more defensive maybe than I expected. I thought they might do a 4-3-3, and it was a bit more defensive than that in shape in the end. I, I sort of mentioned how they'd like to have the ball and press with numbers. They did a bit of that. They had 12 shots. Uh, mentioned how they averaged 55% possession in qualifying. They had 53% in this game. So fairly on par, but maybe a bit more defensive than I expected in this one. Maybe. I, I think I think you all, to be honest, it feels like you all expect Argentina to be good because they're Argentina. And and I feel, felt like this was an Argentina sort of coming in, trying to prove that they belong more than they have in the past. But still, I mean, Italy is kind of the same thing, but I would have put yeah. Italy ahead. I think Italy were the favorites here. So, and the, I so, think... so that was the thing, Taylor, is I, I kind of see both of these countries in a similar place. Mm-hmm. So Agreed. I accept that in the women's game, they are, you know, they're not the superpowers that they are in the men's game. Um, I knew that coming into the match, but I see them on a similar trajectory. I know Italy have a slightly better record than the Euros. I guess you could argue Argentina have a good record at the Copa America as well, but obviously competition in the Euros is, is, is higher. The standard of competition in the Euros is higher. And I just saw Argentina being too reactive to mm-hmm. a team that I, I didn't think they needed to show that much respect to. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I, I also think Italy did a really good job in their own way of limiting what Argentina yeah. wanted to do. I think they, they double teamed Larraquette early and often and not just had two on her, but had the front and follow one in front, one behind so that when she would be able to knock it down, there's someone there to immediately contest that knockdown, that 50-50. I think they also tracked those second runners off of Larraquette so that she, when she would be able to hold it up a little bit. She usually never had a clear and open pass. The way they want to play is she knocks it down to Bonsegundo. She spins in behind. Badini's making a run. Nunez is making a run. Bonsegundo can spread the field or carry it forward. And and it seemed to me like Italy marked everyone the way they needed to. And the few times that they didn't, they would foul. And and I think that was pretty smart. The other thing I thought they did really well, Italy, was sit on Benitez. She was the player that I had spotlighted in the preview of being the, the midfielder for Argentina who was going to sit the deepest, but also try to switch the point of attack early and often, sometimes to her, her and the team's own detriment. Instead, that was Morocco, who did plenty of that in their game. In this game, she didn't really get on the ball much at all. And that's because Italy were, uh, were man-marking her. Caruso sat on her pretty much every time Argentina tried to build. And so even when they would look for that quick ball into Benita, she could turn and switch it. She's marked, and they can't play to her. So it was either a one-touch layoff, or she just never got the ball. And I think in that way, you could see Italy just have a bit more defensive sophistication and in the way they wanted to set up and play. And then I think they made a few little adjustments, made some smart substitutions, and they get the win. I would say deservedly so. Yeah, I would agree. I think Italy were pretty clearly the better team here. I... I didn't love what Italy brought to the table. Like, they didn't come off as, oh my goodness, this team could pull off a surprise run at this World Cup against a team that was going to give us a a decent litmus test for them, right? This was going to be a a decent match to see if either one of these teams could really punch above their weight. I didn't get that vibe. And even though I, I think this game had some shortcomings, I did really like Italy's structure, right? They're one of the few teams, and we saw a couple of those teams today, actually. They're one of the few teams that have a real definable attacking approach. Like their, their shape is very, very clear. They went to that 3-2-5 shape early and often in possession, keeping the right back deep, pushing the left back Lisa Boatin high. And she was fantastic in this game. Really, really good. Gets the game-winning assist for Italy. Like Boatin is, is a really, really good player. 26-year-old Juventus left back. They were in this 3-2-5 
they had a clear structure. And Taylor, I think it was you there who were spotlighting, you know, it wasn't just Argentina struggling, but Italy also did some good things to, to thwart them. I think that structure, having a clear idea of where your players are positioned and what you want them to do, yeah. even with two teenagers in the lineup, one of which Dragone, Dragone who started in central midfield, just 16 years old, the youngest European player to ever start a game at a Women's World Cup. It's an incredible stat, and I thought she was you know, mixed, was but had debut, a lot of good things. <laughs> yeah, like it was, it was a crazy, no, actually I think it was her third cap, at least that's, that's okay. what I'd read. No, but she, like, she, made her, um, she made her senior debut three weeks ago. There it is, so, there it is. Yeah. Like, you know, they had, they had some good bits, they had some shortcomings, they were able to carry some of these younger players, Bakari, 18-year-old winger, pinching in on the left side into the half space as well. Like, they got some good moments, and they made life difficult for Argentina because they had the structure there after they lost the ball. They could counter-press quickly. They could press to win the ball back. They weren't dominant, Italy, by any stretch of the imagination. But I do get the feeling that it, it's possible for them to improve game over game with a strong foundation and, clearly, some talented players in place, even some in this game, some talent coming off the bench. Uh, definitely. So Girelli obviously coming off the bench, Graham, to get the goal here. Does she earn the start in the next game? Um, I, oh, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess it makes a difference to have your best goal scorer on the pitch at some point. Um, I saw some people, that was a talking point in the BBC studio or the ITV studio, whatever it was, um, that she definitely has to start now, given that she scored the winning goal. Mm. I mean, maybe, but she was only on the pitch for seven minutes and yes, she scored the winner, but I, I didn't feel like she had a material impact on like the approach of Italy or the way, the way they were playing or I didn't feel like she was hugely involved and did, did you say Ryan she scored with her first her first touch or, or yes. something like that yeah. so it wasn't like she was hugely involved in possession play so yeah she she scored with basically her only meaningful involvement um so I don't know if Bertolini will actually change it change it she might actually reason that having Girelli coming off the bench as an impact sub yep. worked perfectly and actually having that for the, the rest of the tournament might be what she goes with that would be my argument I, I think you have her come off the bench when you want to go sort of pump the ball into the box, see what we can create. Because in, in this one, for this goal, for people who haven't seen it, uh, it's Boatin gets the ball out wide, and she basically just hits a perfect go-up-and-get-it sort of cross into the box, and Girelli is there. Uh, she wins it. She she kind of sends that looping header back across goal. But it really is a, I'm putting this ball in, you go up and fight for it. She's calling it from the moment that uh, Boatin is in space. It's not really, though, anything. It's not like that exceptional of a ball. It's just a win it ball. And then she doesn't make that exceptional of a run. She just is bigger and stronger and better in the air and meets that ball perfectly, which is to her credit. I'm not trying to diminish any of that because you scored a goal in a World Cup. You deserve a ton of credit. I just think that to your point, she doesn't come in and immediately combine really quickly through the middle and then spread the ball out wide and then make a, a darting run to the back post and get there out of nowhere. I feel like she is a good sort of break glass in case of emergency option, whereas Italy at times I felt like had good moments of build, good moments of possession. Even that winner, it starts with them uh, winning the ball back, and then I think it's, uh, uh, Gre is it Greggy or Greggy? I forget how it works with the double continent and an I. But either way, she wins the ball and then hits the sort of unexpected ball out wide to Boatin, and that breaks the way Argentina were trying to press and sort of shut off half of the field. Um, and I think if Italy can keep the ball moving and find players in those huge amounts of space, then they can create things on their own. I don't think they have to necessarily change up their approach all that much. I think it's pronounced Cousin Greg. I think <laughs> yeah, that's, how you that's right. Triple G, you just go with. Triple G is uh, what she goes by in Italy. Um, 
the other note I had on this game was that substitute for Argentina, Yamila Rodriguez has a tattoo of Ronaldo on her leg, and she has in the past been less bold. than complimentary about Leo Messi, which is for an Argentine player bold. <laughs> Mm, okay. Swimming upstream, to say the least. <laughs> Indeed, uh, she working on like a like a the Richarlison Mount Rushmore of hated figures. Like who who else is going to be on that on that mountain? She has Maradona know. on there already on the one leg. Yeah. She has, I believe, Edward Scissorhands on her shoulder. So Peter Shelton. Look, <laughs> who else? I don't know who else would be on that list of of most unpopular players you could get tattooed on you. I can I'm think not of sure Italian... I want to go down that road because I think it gets problematic pretty quickly. There's an Italian <laughs> men's defender I would put on there, but that's uh, my opinion and my opinion alone. We're talking uh, group... about hated players, not beloved and heroic players. Jim. All right, Group G, Sweden and Italy are at the top with all the points in this one. South Africa and Argentina at the bottom with no points in this group. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got all the goals. Germany's big win over Morocco. Brazil's win over Panama. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Women's World Cup Daily. We turn our attention now to Melbourne, where Germany... Got a 6-0 win over Morocco. Joe, let's talk about sex, baby. Yeah? 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 German? Good? Excellent? German, because German. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, Thank exactly. You. Uh, Germany popping off here with two goals from ah. Alex Pop. Uh, ah. Pretty clinical stuff here, Joe. At least one of the German sides is doing well at the moment, huh? I was waiting for the third one. There's no third German tie-in here. I, I thought we were doing this in threes. Yeah, I mean, Germany, very, very good in this game. I know we're going to talk a lot about Morocco, and, and there's already been some ribbing towards Taylor. Maybe I'm just sensitive as someone who else who repped an African nation that hasn't <laughs> gone particularly well. Uh, Taylor, I do want to come to your aid a little bit here early on and say, actually, this is like a really stupid thing to say, probably. I thought Morocco were fine through the opening stages of this game. Mm-hmm. I thought generally they were executing their game plan well. The difference between these two teams didn't really come in long, sustained sequences of open play, at least early on with Germany pulling off these dazzling sequences and breaking through and making it look easy. It came with Morocco just kind of gifting them moments. Mm -hmm. And and for me, both this game and really the next game that we're going to talk about as well, for the favorite, the team that scored all the goals between Germany and Brazil 10, I, I think we learn very, very little about both of these teams. Germany, they dazzle a little bit here and there, individually especially, But the breakthrough comes from Morocco just passing the ball straight to Germany out of their own defensive third. Germany go down. It's a lovely cross on the right side and a beautiful finish from Pop, like exceptional. And the next one as well, the 39th minute goal from Pop off the corner kick. The header is phenomenal. Like Germany have world-class players. Oh, I did. Speaking of world-class players, Jula Brand Mm -hmm. did have the most dribbles of anybody in this game. So my VSP was ding, 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 spot on. Like Germany have the quality. They have the class. Morocco come out in a 4-4-2 block, and, and they kind of shut a lot of that down. 
except in the moments where they they sort of just fold and, and crumble a little bit and their card tower gets toppled over. You could see the massive difference in quality between those two teams in those individual moments. I feel for Morocco a little bit because I think there's maybe another world where this is tighter. But mm-hmm. credit to Germany for continuing to apply that pressure defensively. I thought they were good in this game, not giving Morocco a lot of time to breathe. And once they scored a couple, it felt like maybe the floodgates had opened. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's about where I am with this one. I think if they don't concede inside the first 15, I think this goes a different way, at least until halftime. But yeah. that goal, as you said, Joe, it, it comes from Germany uh, coming close uh, or close enough that Morocco are scrambling a little bit. And I think right there you can see their inexperience. Lest we forget, this is the team that their goal was to qualify for the Africa Cup of Nations, a tournament that they, they finished third in or fourth in and thus got their qualification to this tournament. So I think expectations are already exceeded. But at the same time, with that sort of inexperienced team, you could see the nerves on display here. It's uh, Mrabe uh, has the ball and tries to play it out and just plays it straight to Germany. And then from there, because Morocco thought this is our chance to counter, you could see the entire team take a couple steps forward and then realize they've lost possession. And now everyone's out of position. And I feel like that's where Germany are going to thrive. They're going to carve you open pretty quickly. And that's exactly what they did. And I think heads go down. You see Morocco get nervous for the next five minutes or so, and you can just see the shakiness of their play. They settle in, but I wonder if that mistake hadn't happened. Do they maybe ride things out a little bit more, have a little bit more success, or just grow in confidence? And I think the same goes very much for the way they start the second half. Going in 2-0 against Germany, uh, I think you can figure some stuff out, and if it finishes 3-0 or 3-1, I don't think that's the worst result. But I guarantee you the plan was not to concede inside, what, 30 seconds uh, <laughs> when you take the kickoff. It's Morocco taking the kick. Um, it goes back to Nakach. She hits a very bad ball out wide for, I believe, Kasi. Kasi then fails to control it. Germany are away. Kasi also then makes up the ground and gets beaten 1v1. And it's just chaos in the box. But Morocco, you can see in that moment, no one knows where to go. They all just kind of collapse. I think they end up having two or three players on the goal line when Germany are kind of passing the ball around. I think if you if you stick with your marks, if you don't panic in those moments, it's a different result. So for me, I think it's a lot of inexperience showing for Morocco and the opposite being the case for Germany. I think that they backed themselves. They kept trying. They kept moving the ball. They didn't get frustrated by some of the chippiness and some of the fouls and and got six goals, which is not a small return. And and I thought the German high line was almost like bait to, to, to Morocco, where I think that was a factor in Morocco trying to impose their, their own game and trying to, to continue to attack. Because as well as Germany played, and that's maybe the scary thing about Germany in this game is, I think they can play better than this. Um, and they beat a pretty good opponent 6-0 playing this well. Hmm. But yeah, as well as they played, Morocco were given an opportunity against that high defensive line. Uh, Ayan certainly had the beating of Hendrik for pay. We saw that early in, in the game, but I often felt like Morocco could have maybe gambled a little bit more with the ball in behind or moved the ball quicker, certainly. And one of the times that they did that, uh, Tang Nui, or, or, or Tag Nui, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but she gets clean through on goal, and that was kind of just one ball in behind. And obviously that high line contributes to how Germany suffocates teams. It's there for a reason, but it gives oppor- opponents something to, to target, an opportunity to target. And I wonder if, as I say, that was bait to Morocco, who kept trying to play their own game because they're thinking one ball and we can get in behind here like it's not so difficult we can get on the scoreboard here without that maybe they do drop a little bit more and the scoreline isn't 6-0 because every time they were trying that Germany were picking it off or or using recovery uh, speed to get to to recover the situation and then Morocco are 
disorganised as Germany are coming at them and Germany obviously so dangerous in the wide areas and attacking those crosses into the box that was a real difference maker as well yeah I think that's quite right Graham it did seem like a bit of a mismatch to me this game like Morocco obviously had mistakes in them but it was that they couldn't handle those crosses coming into the box at all and uh, left themselves a bit open too many mistakes as we said but for Germany I think you're quite right that they've got another level to go to here yeah uh, there's that term they use Turniermannschaft they're a tournament team and you, you get this for the men's team as well they show up yeah in these kind of circumstances and it explains how they can say lose to Zambia in a friendly because they're like whatever that's a well, friendly we're switching on Turniermannschaft now yeah well so, so so Joe said that we didn't learn anything about Germany and I, I, I broadly agree but I did. It did kind of reassure me that oh, they're fine. That like they're right. okay because coming into this <laughs> tournament, there was a couple of dodgy results and some question in the in the media. And yeah, they're, they're good. Like they're still good. Germany always do this. We should never have doubted them. And that attack is just like so comfortable in what they do. I think there are more modern, fluid front fours out there. But Brandt and Magul and uh, Bull behind Pop, who's one of the best like focal points in world football. Everyone that in that unit contributes something uh, different, maybe apart from the two wingers who interchange and swap all the time. And then you have Sarah de Brits getting forward from midfield. And then if you add in Lena Oberdorf, yeah. who misses this game out injured, Joe's favourite, like, I don't know if there's a better front six in the whole tournament, like maybe the US, but it's certainly up there for, for one of the, the best kind of midfield and attacking units. I'm glad you mentioned Oberdorf there, Graham, because I was going to shoehorn her in at some point regardless, so you did it for me. I appreciate that. Uh, and, and Ryan, I like you talking about Germany as a tournament team. It's almost like they've been gifted via injury. It's a weird way to think about an injury, but like the chance to do that again, right? Because we're talking about how there's another level for Germany to hit. Yeah, absolutely there is because their best player is not in the 11, right? Like Lena Oberdorf is going to fit right into this team and she's going to make life a lot easier for Germany and a lot harder for their opponents. One move that I thought was bold in this game from, uh, from, from Germany was to have Svenja Huta, who usually plays as a winger, as the right back. I don't know how much you guys were, were dialed in on her. Mm-hmm. She was playing as a right back defensively with a lot of cover coming down from, from Brand often on the right wing. But then in possession, <laughs> Graham, you talked about Germany's, Germany's attacking group. Like, it, it was a 3-2-5. Like, she was, yeah. Huta was sprinting up that right side. And so, you know, the front four concept goes out the window. And at this point, it's Germany stacking their attacking talent all the way across the front line. Alexander Pop most often as the number nine in that central spot, but sometimes even rotating into the half space because she is this well-rounded, complete striker. She can drop in and help alleviate pressure, or she can drop in to add another number between the lines. She would even rotate a little bit wider. And you had Germany doing all of these very aggressive, entertaining things in possession. And I get the feeling that if it's a better team than Morocco, and I'll have something similar about this with Brazil in a minute. Like if it's a better team than Morocco, Maybe with the absence of Oberdorf, and, and hopefully she's back soon, and with a winger defending as, a, as an outside back in this game, maybe they face more difficult moments than they ever really did for Morocco in this competition. Not that Morocco didn't get forward some. They did, and we've talked about that. But it's a bold attacking setup by Germany, and I'm very intrigued to see if that's something that we'll see on repeat throughout this competition. Uh Cosign on all of that, Joe. Uh, Huta threw me off because I knew Germany were in a back four, and yet at the same time, it was impossible to know for sure that they were in a back four because she was so far forward so often, so much so that I kept also being confused about who was actually combining down that right flank, who was getting shots off, because sometimes it was Huta, sometimes it was Hendrik getting involved, sometimes Brand would be there, sometimes it was Bull sliding over, and I feel like that fluidity to the attack combined with the numbers they committed also played a big part in throwing Morocco completely off their game. 
And then you have somebody like uh, Lina Magul in the middle who I knew was good. And Joe, I know you, you talked about her, but my goodness, is she very good on the ball. The, uh, I, I had hyped up um, Ayan, Ayana coming, in, coming into this one from Morocco, but uh, Magul stood out to me as probably the most technical player on the pitch. Twice in this game, she receives a just fully driven ball into feet and does so sort of on the half turn, but really does that thing where she receives it as she's turning and sort of brings the ball with her foot around and then is perfectly positioned just to carry it forward. And she does that with the defender on her back. So to be able to turn a defender twice, keep possession, and then be sort of like able to attack open space and have Morocco collapse as a result. I don't know if there are many players I've seen so far who have that level of technical ability. I thought she was excellent. It makes me very nervous for, to to see what else this Germany team can do. Uh, Joe, my, my last question for you. You may have mm. talked about this in the preview, so I, I apologize. Uh, where does Oberdorf fit in? Because this team looked very good. Who do you think goes to the bench when Oberdorf comes back? Yeah, so she would start over Leopold's in that uh-huh. midfield okay. group. So in, in this possession shape, she would be a double pivot. Like, she'd be half of that double pivot sitting a little bit deeper. I, I wouldn't necessarily expect us to see this 3-2-5 shape. Again, it starts as a back four, the right wing back, the right back mm-hmm. in this case, Huta goes forward, the left back stays home, and everybody just kind of shifts over one in that attacking line. I wouldn't necessarily expect us to see this every time going forward, although I think it would be entertaining. Either way, Oberdorf will be in that midfield group, and she'll give Germany an, another level. I really do love the approach that we see occasionally on both the men's and women's side. The tactic of just like, you know what? That entire right-hand side, that's yours now. <laughs> go, go handle it. And Huta did just that. So credit to her, credit to Germany. Less credit to Morocco for this one. Yeah, and to pour more praise on Germany, Joe, the, the, the superstar for me was Jula Brandt in this side. I thought yeah. she had a spectacular game. There was a, there was a moment just before the hour mark where she beat a couple of players and broke into the box. It was, it was pretty spectacular stuff. There's a, there's a little clip on German Twitter where the commentator's going, Elektrisieren, unfassbar, unglaublich! And he's getting like these things like amazing, electrifying, incredible. Um, and he's getting really, really worked up about it. And for German commentary, that's not right. typical. <laughs> so it, it was, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah she, she's, she, was, she was great. She's awesome. Like, she was really, really awesome. I think... I spent a lot of time discussing her in the preview, and I did the same on yesterday's show while also adding in maybe it's it's one tournament too soon for Brand to truly be the impact player, and I still don't think she's at the top of the attacking pecking order for Germany. That will be pop for the foreseeable future, even with other talented number nines in this squad. But Brand is so valuable driving the ball forward as this progressor, good on the ball in tight spots. Again, she had more completed dribbles than anybody in this game. She had seven, which is a ton of dribbles to complete in a single match, like her ability to progress the ball and then either maybe add a little bit in the final third or lay the ball off to one of the central midfielders to do a little bit of the chance creation aspect. Either way, her ability is so, so high. She's amazing to watch. Uh, One last thing for me on this game. Uh, The only maybe silver lining for Morocco uh, would be that the two central defenders, Mrabe and El Haj, were, were so poor that I, I don't see how they don't start Desreen El Chad in the next game. And she is 
the very young center back playing in France, who I think could be a difference maker for this team, not least because both of the center backs in this game looked very slow, very, very struggling to keep up with the pace of Germany, uh, especially in that quick acceleration in the final 20 yards or so. I don't think either one of them, either one of them did particularly well. There are giveaways, there's the own goal, uh, and I think Morocco changing it up and bringing in a little bit of youth, a little bit more speed, and a little bit more, I think, technical on-the-ball ability would not be the worst idea. So potentially this loss leads to that, in which case I'm going to say that's the only positive I can really think of. All right. Uh, Graham, any more on this game or should we uh, should we jog on? We need a skills challenge between Alexandra Pop and Wendy Renard over like a heading skills challenge. Like we just throw up a ball and let the two of them go at it and see who comes out on top. Yeah, Renard. The, the heading ability was very impressive, like getting the body in the right position and stuff. It was it was high quality in this game. So, yeah, so Wendy Renard would have like the physical edge because obviously I think she's quite a bit taller than Pop, but Pop just throws like her entire body at the ball, which is how she scores the, uh, I can't even remember what number of goal, uh, goal it is in the match, but her second goal from the corner, which initially looks like it's come off her head, and then on second view, you notice it's come off her shoulder. Then on third view, you notice, I, th- I think she's, I think she meant to go with that with her shoulder. Like, I don't think it's a case of, you know, you see like a player going with her head, they miss their head and it hits the shoulder, goes in. I think she contorts her body just as the ball is about to hit her, to hit the shoulder, and it goes into the back of the net. So, yeah, she's very good at attacking across into the box, which is good news for Germany because they put a lot of good crosses into the box. I don't think they deliberately cleared that out for her. I think it was sort of she she reacts well and gets ahead to it. She was not double double teamed. The commentator said she was. Uh, she was uh, like single marked and then basically just runs into another player winning that ball. But I did notice that Germany have three players all immediately attack the near post and all of Morocco sort of went with them, assuming it was a design set piece or going to be a low ball into the near post. And I do wonder if that's partially why there is so much space for pop to attack. So something to keep an eye on is Germany having sort of specific runs for specific players so that you open up space for pop to attack. And when you do, she tends to score. So probably not the worst tactic overall. Indeed. Uh, Germany, obviously, with the advantage in Group H. Uh, Colombia and South Korea playing this evening, America time, <laughs> and tomorrow morning. Are you sure? You sure that game hasn't already happened, Ryan? Uh, prediction? <laughs> I might have done a VSP for that game yesterday because I knew it was happening today, US time. All right. I'm, I'm a very confused person. Everybody happy? I, yeah, I think Taylor's maybe as last time I checked the doc, I think Taylor might uh, be throwing some stones as a glass house over here. I'm just gonna, I'm just going <laughs> to oh! lay that out there. <laughs> wait, can't wait to get to that bit. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we need to talk about Brazil's big win over Panama back shortly. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Women's World Cup Daily. We go now to Brazil for Panama nil. First hat-trick in a tournament here for Ari Borges in this one. Brazil, Graham, good stat, have now won all nine of their opening World Cup games. Ooh. Nice. And they did Not so in style. Thought. That third goal, Jogo Benito, right? Mm. Uh, nice. Goal, goal of the tournament, in my opinion, so far. Um, and it will take some beating. It was just so deliciously Brazilian you know it was cut back flick cross on a on a plate for the Brazilian attacker then a bit of hold up play then the back heel assist then the finish high into the net just a wonderfully constructed goal if this had been FIFA Panama would have rage quit at that moment (laughs) in the match because this was so impressive from Brazil this was the most fun I've had watching a team at this World Cup so far. And I kind of I knew that Brazil were going to be like this. Um, they entered in good form. They won the Copa America last year. Of course, Panama's favourable a favourable opening fixture as well. But nonetheless, I was just so impressed. They were so entertaining. Um, 44 seconds in to this match, Brazil burst through like clean on goal, a little bit of a dribble, a little, little bit of exchange play. And that just set the tone for what they did in the rest of this match. Graham, I have so many different experiences of staring blankly at the FIFA screen saying, really, game? Really? And you're absolutely <laughs> right that that is, has to be what Panama were thinking after that third goal. But maybe from the opening minute, as you said, maybe from the first goal, where they just they just seemed like, no matter what we do, somehow four players are wide open. And I do think part of that was Panama going for a 5-4-1, as I saw it, but all of those players seemed very focused on defending the middle third of the pitch, which makes sense if a team is overly focused on crowding numbers through the middle and finding quick passes to get shooting opportunities off, which Brazil can do. But this Brazil team also felt pretty okay with attacking down the wings and attacking down the channels and creating overloads, uh, especially when you have Tamiras who can play the uh, the passes that she can and did the the approach from Panama I feel like was maybe flawed from the jump and then Brazil pretty happy to capitalize on some of those mistakes both tactical and individual yeah I've got to be honest I don't really have many thoughts on Panama <laughs> just because I was having such a good time watching Brazil that I was like no I'm going to enjoy myself and I'm going to focus on what they're doing so I appreciate that against higher, higher caliber opponents Brazil might not not be able to play this way but everything from them on the ball I thought was just so clean just the way they 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 almost always got their first touch right or they were able to if they're under pressure they're dropping a shoulder and losing an opponent and then the way that they open that opened out as well in possession and th- and this is in stark contrast to what my complaint was about Argentina earlier in the day where you know they made their own possession congested in the middle of the pitch that was my view of it anyway but Brazil on the other hand you know they were spreading the ball out to the fullbacks they were moving it quickly it wasn't all short passes it was um, direct at times not in terms of like long balls but in terms of playing passes over you know 40 yards into attackers Um, they just I just thought they were so impressive as I say this this is the most impressed I've been by a team at this World Cup so far I think maybe I just needed a bowl of Frosties this morning to like get me in the mood for this game (laughs) I had almost none of the same emotions that Graham did about Brazil here, except on that third goal, which was absolutely fantastic. Like, it, it, that's You're the best human, goal so You're far. You're human. You, uh, you have to feel something <laughs> with that third goal. I did. I felt something. Mm-hmm. The rest, I, I, I was not really impressed by Brazil at all in this game. And I'm not, I'm not just trying to be contrary so we have stuff to talk about and argue about. But I, I thought Panama were atrocious. Like, I, I felt for them a little bit in this game. They couldn't get pressure to the ball at all. I think it's telling that all four of the goals 
come from the left side of Brazil's attack and Panama cannot figure out how to get pressure to the ball to deny service. I felt like, and I said this earlier with Germany, you know, referencing this game as well, I, I found it hard to learn anything about Brazil and Germany because of the lack of quality on the other side. In Panama, unlike Morocco, who kind of at least nailed aspects of their defensive structure, they were like chasing shadows defensively in this game. They couldn't figure out how to deny Brazil touches on the ball. And, and Brazil, for their part, I don't, again, maybe I'm just in a bad mood watching this game, even though there were lots of goals. I, I kind of disagree with Graham. I, I didn't think they were very clean on the ball. Like, I thought they had big gaps between players that were just begging to be exposed by Panama. Again, there were moments where Brazil were. I see Taylor look kind of you know confused over there. There are moments where Brazil were very clean. But so often, I felt like we were seeing Caroline, who's not really a central midfielder, pop up deep in midfield and, and take four touches when two would have done. Or we were seeing, you know, Borges, who scored a lot of goals in this game with a hat trick, had a really good performance in the final third. But against a better team, taking extra touches deeper downfield would have been a real problem. So again, I, I'm not condemning Brazil for how they played. They, they absolutely took care of business. They beat the team in front of them. It just so happens that I think Panama are probably the worst team in this competition. I wrote that before it started, I believe. They really, really struggled. In Brazil, I, I, I didn't really think they did a lot of stuff that was particularly impressive. Joe, can, can, I, I wasn't of the opinion that they were the worst team today. I thought Morocco weren't as good as the Spanish side. I thought that Panama had some glimpses of potential, but basically just didn't have the ball enough to make any meaningful impact. Well, they, they I, didn't test also... Brazil's. They didn't test like Brazil's defence at any point. And that is in my, in my notes. Like uh, we should mention, in my opinion, that like we didn't get a full assessment of Brazil because Panama weren't yeah. able really to impose themselves. Yeah. So I, even though I've said this is the most impressed I've been with a team, this is the most fun I had watching a team, I, I'm still putting Brazil in like tier two yeah. in yeah, this yeah, tournament. Yeah. I'm not putting them amongst the favourites and, and that they will get a full test against France in their next game, which I know France started off relatively poorly against Jamaica, but just with the, the amount of attacking talent that they have, that will be a different sort of match for Brazil. And I'll, I will form a more rounded opinion of Brazil after that game. I'm really looking forward to that game now. Same. But yeah, I, I think it is interesting like how people can view soccer matches in a, in a different way. Because you mentioned Caroline there, Joe. I thought she was brilliant in this game. <laughs> like I thought she was everywhere. You never went like more than 30 seconds of Brazil in possession without her being on the ball. And sure. she was, I think she had the joint most dribbles. She was the one, I, I missed out on my VSP by two. She was the one closest to getting the six, but she was the, the most dribbly player in this match and she was playing through balls. And I kind of, about midway through the second half, I thought she's kind of like, a, I don't know what you call these, but you know those like baseball machines that like just chuck out balls sure, for the batters yeah. to practice with? She's kind of like one of those for the attackers where like, okay, maybe Panama clear something, but like 20 seconds later, you're getting another ball from Caroline into the attackers. And and yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching her Mach and Brazil in general. Machine that throws the ball out for the batters. It's called a pitching <laughs> machine. Now who has too many words for oh, things, Graham? Nice uh, and <laughs> while we're trying to simplify things, if you need to understand this division in TSS, just know that uh, Joe's favorite Shania Twain song is That Don't Impress Me Much, and Graham's favorite Shania Twain song is Still the One. So that's how Graham feels about Brazil. That's how Joe feels about Brazil, summed up by Shania Twain. Well, but my favorite Shania Twain song is Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Well, that's the is that in your karaoke rotation, Graham? That's what the people really <laughs> yeah. want to know. If I'd got a third song in Sorrento, that's what I would have done. <laughs> well, well, I do don't impress me much. I do want to add, um, I'm not adding on the Shania Twain bit. I apologize for that. But just on this game, I'm totally not ruling Brazil out as a contender. I think that, that tier two team 
is right about where they were coming into this competition. And Graham, I, I think you're right. You know, just because we have different interpretations on this game, maybe I'm putting a little more stock in Panama being terrible, which which they were. Maybe Morocco were worse. I, I didn't see it that way, but but that's absolutely possible. The thing with Brazil, and this is why it's really hard to ever count them out, is their attack is absolutely loaded. Like the fact that they can have Borges and Caroline, even out of position, Caroline and Dabinha and all, all of these other players with so much quality on Marta the field just together from the bench. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Marta yeah. hanging out no, like with a blankie on the bench, right? Like they're they're absolutely stacked to the point where under <laughs> Pia Sundhagen, like they can do anything. They can beat any team in the world. They've played England close. They've been the dominant team in South America. I'm not doubting their ability to go in and really cause problems in this tournament. I just didn't think we saw a team that looks like a necessarily a surefire contender. The, the one other thing I want to add, it didn't matter at all in this game, literally at all, but it could matter going forward. I saw Brazil in this sort of rough, fluid 4-4-2 shape in possession, where the fullbacks pushed up really, really high. They would push the wingers inside. The central midfielders had a lot of fluidity. Again, Caroline popping up in tons of different spots, deeper down in midfield than she normally does for the North Carolina Courage and the NWSL. They're super fluid. I felt like that fluidity was leading to Brazil being disorganized rather than to them disorganizing the opponent. It didn't matter in this game because Panama were very easy to disorganize and they weren't throwing any heaters back towards Brazil's goal. But I think there were these big gaps that were kind of begging to be exposed by a team that can attack more in transition and can be a bit more dangerous. I have my eyes on those gaps, especially between the fullbacks as they bomb up the wings and the center backs without any of the central midfielders dropping in to fill those holes. I just say we should keep those gaps in the back of our minds going forward. Maybe they'll never be exposed. Maybe they were deliberately left open in this game because Panama is so weak. Maybe none of this matters at all. But I think that's worth at least having in the back of our minds over the next couple of games for Brazil to see if that comes back to bite them. I think Pearson Hajj was very happy with this performance given she was literally like jumping with joy at one point. I think that might have been after the the third goal and she's been pretty she's been pretty harsh on this Brazil team. I mentioned in my my previews that she in press conference will talk about popcorn time as as like an insult of her own team when they lose the ball and they just stand around and and you know kind of watch the other team without counter pressing or doing anything or snapping back into defensive structure obviously in this match that wasn't really tested against this panama team but yeah she looked she looked delighted with how brazil were were, were playing um, i did enjoy the little bunny hop of joy um after the third goal from pia <gasps> It's nice to see you have a spring in your step like this today, Graham. I'm really enjoying it. The bunny hop of joy from Graham Ruthven as well. Brazil are just fun. This is this is potentially actually affecting my opinion of this performance. Is like I'm from a generation where Brazil at World Cups were just like the thing. Like they were they were so entertaining. They won like every like fifty percent of World Cups. Obviously in the men's game I'm talking about here. But when I was when I was like growing up, a tournament where Brazil were good was a better tournament. Mm. And so the prospect of Brazil being good at this tournament has got me excited. There you are. You're a person from the 20th or 21st century, Graham, by that. Yeah. Well done. Very good indeed. Uh, Brazil, obviously, top of Group F. France and Jamaica on a point in this one. Panama on zero points. Let's go, last but not least, to our very specific predictions for the next round of games. Uh, I made a boo-boo yesterday because I did one for Colombia versus Korea, which is happening later tonight. Mm, The American time messed up the whoopsie-whoopsie. I'm going to do one now for New Zealand versus Philippines, which I believe is happening within the time frame before our next podcast recording. My VSP for that game is that Hannah Wilkinson will have six or more shots 
in that game. She had four in the opener against Norway, and uh, New Zealand had 12 in total in that opener. She had the most of any New Zealand player. I think she's going to have more opportunities for more shots in this game against the Philippines. The Philippines conceded 17 shots in their opener as well. That Swiss front three had 10 shots. Hence, ergo, therefore, I think Hannah Wilkinson, as Joe's generation would say, is going to go off queen. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't enjoy you. Are you no? Ryan? Do you feel like, like that was? Do you feel like that was a good it. thing for you to say, or, or no, do you wish you had? I regret it yeah. instantly. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, Joe King, go off now. You Boo. don't want to. <laughs> um, Boo, Ryan, okay. I made another prediction. So of Ryan's for for South Korea in their game against Colombia. I I did one for Colombia. I've got Linda Caicedo will take more shots than any Colombian player, likely to pop up on the left wing a lot in this game. We'll tuck into central spaces is maybe the highest profile talent in South America right now. Someone that was discussed in length in our previews. Somebody that I'm really, really looking forward to watching. I don't think Caicedo is on the Melchi Dumornay tier of, of young stars in this tournament, teenage stars in this tournament. But she's a little bit younger, if memory serves, and is still absolutely electric with a ton of room to grow. She could make this her breakout tournament. I mean, she's already broken out, but this could be her her real announcement to folks around the world. I am stoked to watch Colombia make their debut against Korea. Awesome stuff. Thank you very much, Joe. Graham, your VSP. So I'm going to go to the Switzerland-Norway game. My VSP is Norway-related. Um, I don't actually have much faith in Norway as a team. Um, certainly don't have much faith in their midfield at the moment. But I do think Caroline Graham Hansen will have a hero ball moment where she tries to take on the entire team and either she'll score or she'll come close to scoring. Uh, basically, there will be a final do-it-myself moment from Graham, Graham Hansen because we saw that in the first game against New Zealand. I think she leads the tournament for the most dribbles. I'm being very dribbly with my VSPs at the moment. I promise tomorrow's VSP won't be dribble-related. But nonetheless, um, she leads the tournament for the most dribbles so far in, in, in a single match and um, she'll likely start this game game on the right wing so she will have space to run into and I do think there will be one of those moments where as I say she just tries to do it all on her own because I don't think the team around her will be that impressive very nice indeed a Graham Hansen from our Graham Hansen very nice indeed oh, uh, thanks, Ryan. last but not least uh, Taylor Rockwell please give us a VSP from the three games which are happening before we next record <laughs> and those three games exclusively thank you very much yeah, I did one for Canada-Ireland because I don't understand how time works. Uh, I can hold that one till tomorrow, and I can try to come up with one really quickly. But my honest sentiment is that I don't feel like I, I still know some of these teams enough to feel one way or the other. Uh, having previewed Switzerland, I wanted to come up with one for Norway, but I, I feel really confused about Norway. I don't know if they're good or terrible. Um, so I imagine Ramona, Ramona, Ramona Bachman, easy for me to say, will do something spectacular but i i don't even know if that's going to be enough so i have one for canada but i can hold it until tomorrow when we're actually talking about canada ireland if that appeals you can you can say it now as well i did the same thing yesterday taylor you are my brother in arms of making time-based mistakes yeah. in the vsp so right. i appreciate I that you. very much dumb dumbs uh, in arms yeah <laughs> get him <laughs> graham Counting is hard. Counting is hard. Um, I think Jesse Fleming will get a goal or an assist. She obviously did not play in Canada's opener. She is back training. Uh, Beth Priestman said she was trying to manage Fleming's minutes, but given the way the first game went, I think they need to get a result, so I think Fleming needs to play, and I think she will. And if Canada's going to get a goal, it seems like Fleming has to be involved. So I think a goal or an assist for Jesse Fleming. Marvelous stuff. Well done, everybody. Uh, we have... 
World Cup Day Lead. Taylor Rockrow, thank you very much for your World Cup Day Lead today. Thank you, my friend, and thank you for being gentle with the Morocco destruction. Because, man, was that <laughs> – I did not watch that live to wake up to that one thinking, did they do it? Did they play this one close? Yeah. And then realizing yeah. they did not was an oh-no sort of moment for me. I, I had a personal dilemma of wondering whether to put anything in the slack, like <laughs> knowing that Taylor was probably asleep and was going to wake up to see that they were losing 3 or 4-0 mm-hmm. at the time, and I yep. decided not to put anything in the slack. You will know I did not have that dilemma, Graham, when I put something in the slack. <laughs> no, you, went, you waited right in there. <laughs> Graham Thanks, Rubin, thank you very much for your uh, your podcasting today. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And same to you, Mr. Joe Lowry. Thank you very much. Right back at you, Ryan. Listener, thank you for joining us on this intrepid journey. We'll be back with more World Cup Daily tomorrow. But for now, bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.